Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see change lives, and we hope that this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy this message. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be with you today. I want to welcome those who are joining us online, interact online. We'd love to get to know you too. That is for our Christmas Eve offering. In fact, We are partnering with three different agencies. That is Safe Haven here in Piqua, Isaiah's Place, which is for foster children in Troy, and then the Alpha Community Center in Sydney and Shelby County. So 100% of what is given at Christmas Eve goes out. Like 100%. When you give $100, it's all going out that night. We're going to split it three ways across those locations, something we've done for the last couple of years. And we're calling it Love Does. Uh, and love, because that's what love does. Love, love sees a need. Love does something about it. And so we'll be talking a lot about that in the upcoming weeks and, of course, culminating on Christmas Eve. Last week, we kicked off this series entitled The Misfits of Christmas. If you missed last week, I encourage you to go check it out on our YouTube channel, Piqua YouTube channel. Because every week builds together, every week works together as we talk about the misfits of Christmas. In fact, you don't have to look very long in the New Testament to find misfits. And that's what last week was in the genealogy. And I don't know about you, but if I'm reading the Bible and I hit genealogies, whether it be in like Matthew, like that in chapter 1, or back in the Old Testament where it would say like the clan of Reuben and then list, I'll just be straight up, I skip them. I'm like, I read Reuben, like I know I'm doing the one-year Bible, but I like, I skimmed it over. I'm like, I'm not sure how this is going to change my life. I'm just not seeing how knowing the third generation is going to be game changer. But we learned last week that genealogies serve a purpose. And in fact, with the genealogy of Jesus, the purpose it served was we saw that, man, his family line was kind of a who's who of misfits. I mean, you had Abraham, who had a lying issue. You had David, who committed adultery and was an accomplice to murder. You had Manasseh, who uh, sacrificed his own son. You had um, four women mentioned, which in the uh, first century, there was dirt, and then 50 feet below that's where women fell on the social ladder. But yet in the genealogy of Jesus, four of them are mentioned. One of them is Ruth, and she wasn't even uh, Jewish <laughs> until she married. So just, it, but it showed us something about Jesus showed us that Jesus identifies with us. He didn't come through some royal lineage. I mean, yes, it was David, but some perfect family with everything figured out. And he shows up on earth and like, he's not going to understand you and me. No, he gets us. In fact, not only does he get us, but he did leave heaven and gave up all those perfect rights, all the perfectness of heaven. And he dove headfirst into this mess that I call my life and into this mess that we call earth because he loves us. And he can relate to us. We're going to continue that series today. I'm someone who, I'm kind of a passionate person by nature. I'm not an extrovert. Uh, I don't wear my emotions on my sleeve. Um, I'm a, but I'm passionate. There's things that, that, I, that just are like within me get me fly, flying out of bed in the morning. Now, there's some things I'm passionate about that are not necessarily like spiritual. Uh, for example, I'm incredibly passionate about college football. Anyone else here? Okay, we have some, okay. I'm incredibly passionate about baseball. And those are things that are not going to probably change the world, but they fire me up. They get me excited. I, I can't wait till that season. I can't wait for those games. I can't wait to see that. In fact, my dream for retirement, 
Now, you'll hear this in a second. You'll realize why I'm saying this on the front end. This will be a dream that's not realized, probably. But my dream is to get an RV. Uh, it's got to have a king-size bed. Uh, that's just my only requirement of the RV. I'm a bigger guy. I've got to have a king bed. And we're going to drive around all fall to different college football stadiums. That's my dream. And then when, when we're going to start up in Maine and hit whatever's up there, and then we're going to drive, we're, and then we're going to, when we hit all those, or we can do it simultaneously, we're going to do it every baseball stadium. I can't, now, now you're seeing why I said this dream might not be realized. Um, my wife might say, go do it yourself. I'll see you in five or six years, okay? Um, but those are dreams, those are passions I have that maybe are not super spiritual. But then there's other ones that I am passionate about that align with God. I, I am passionate about seeing new churches started to reach people who don't know Jesus. In fact, last week, by the way, we launched our Sydney location. I think this is our 10th week. Last week, they had five baptisms. Just another, yeah, big yay God on that one. I'm passionate about seeing people discover how God's wired them and then releasing them to fulfill that passion to make a difference in the lives of others. Those are some things that I'm passionate about, but I wanna ask you a question. What are you passionate about? Now, it could be okay that if it's things that are passionate, I heard I have a friend here, okay? Uh, he said baseball, but I, there are things that I'm pa you can be passionate about, like my football or baseball or whatever, that's okay. To, but I'm talking about like the things that, are, that change the world. What are you passionate about? Now, you might be here today and, and know that. You might be here today and you're like, you know what, Mark? I never really thought about that. I thought that was only for certain people who had their life figured out. I thought that was only for certain people who had a degree in whatever. I thought that was only for people who never made any mistakes in life or, or aren't trying to figure out what's going on. And I want to ask you a secondary question with that. What are you passionate about that involves people? Because that's what makes a difference, right? When people are intersected with and their lives are transformed. So I want you to hold that question. I tend to do that anytime I, I share or talk or preach. I, I throw a question out I think we got to wrestle with. What are you passionate? Just hold on to it. 30 minutes or whatever. They tell me I got 28 minutes and 34 seconds. So 28 minutes and 33 seconds. Hold on to that. What are you passionate about? And if you're not passionate, my hope is in the next 20-some minutes, maybe something changes. Maybe you walk out of here one step closer to what God wants. Now, in the Bible, they, the Bible doesn't use the word passion a lot. In fact, it uses another word. It uses a word that you and I probably haven't uttered from our mouth, maybe ever, if not ever, at least for a long time, and that word is zeal. Zeal. I told you, right? When's the last time you said, I'm zealous about this. Like, get you home and to your, to your spouse, like, I am so zealous about this, right? You know, in the Bible, we see the word zeal. We see the word zealous. We even see, like, one guy, his name was Simon the Zealot. In fact, it's just a cool word. So it's a cool word, and I'm the only one saying it right now. So on the count of three, I just want us to out loud and loudly say zeal. One, two, three. Yeah. Zeal. Zeal. What does zeal mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. I looked up the definition. The definition says this. It is defined as passionate, intense, fiery, and fierce. I love that. I'm going to say that again. Intense, passionate, fiery, and fierce. 
Again, what are you zealous about? What are you passionate about? What fires you up? What is so, that just grabs your heart, it's so fierce, you can't, you got to do something about it. Well, there's a guy in the Bible who was incredibly zealous. In fact, there was more than one, but we're going to look at one guy today. And this guy would, if you were to look up the word misfit in the dictionary, there's a decent likelihood that his picture could show up. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3 today. If you have the Bibles in your row, I always encourage people to get them. It's on page 967. 967. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit in different translation, but I'll be mostly in the one you have. So feel free, grab it. I always like people have the Bible. If you have it on your phone, get it. Uh, I just believe that when you start reading the Bible, God starts intersecting with your life more than you could ever imagine, and things are going to change. So chapter 1, of ver- excuse me, chapter 3 and verse 1. In those days, well, what were those days? those days were before Jesus was coming, before his ministry began on earth. John the Baptist, that's our misfit of the day. John the Baptist, who was a cousin of Jesus, born six months prior to Jesus, preaching in the desert of Judea. Let's jump down to verse 4. It says, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt, and I'm guessing it's not a, you know, like a Versace leather belt, <laughs> around his waist. His food, his food was what? Locusts and honey. Anyone have that on lunch menu today? Anyone going home? Can't wait. I mean, if, if your locusts aren't going to get done in time, um, you feel free to leave if they're in the oven. In fact, I used to teach uh, biology. I was a high school biology teacher for about a decade, and, and with advanced biology, every fall, I would do an entomology unit. That's an insects, this big fancy word. Scientists, we got to have these big fancy words for stuff. Insect unit. And one of the culminating projects of this insect unit was we would do, they would have to make insect dishes, different foods of insects. Okay. I'll tell you, this is free. Okay, this is free info. Um, this m- might change your life more than anything we say today. No, it won't. But any, we used to make jello with locusts in it, or jello with grasshoppers and crickets. You, I'm telling you, like, one thing I've learned in life, you can add anything to jello. Like, anything. I know we do pineapple and fruit. I want you to try this, but you're, you're not going to do it. But Go home, get some crickets. You can go to a pet pet store, and they have them usually. You got to boil them. That's just, again, using best practices. You got to boil them, okay, get all the bacteria out and whatever, and then put them in jello. You've taken jello, which has no nutritional value, just sugar, and you've added protein like that. Mealworms, go for it. Now, Now you're like, Mark, maybe John the Baptist isn't the misfit. Maybe I'm the misfit today, you know. Didn't wear my camel hair stuff. This guy was quite the interesting fella. He's living in the wilderness. Now, there's a likelihood that's where he lived. There would be communes or groups of people who lived in the wilderness. His parents were older uh, when he was born, so they might have passed away, and he might have been on his own in the wilderness. But that's where he lived. That's where he set up shop. And he was a very rugged, outdoorsy man. Is that the picture you get of him, right? I mean, outdoor. He's wearing his, his camel hair stuff, you know. He's wearing his big leather belt. And he's going around and he's eating locusts and honey. What in the world can we learn from this guy? What was he doing that made an impact in the lives of people? Well, let's look here and see what it says. It says this in verse 2. And he came saying, repent, repent. 
For the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, sometimes when we read the Bible, we're like, Mark, sometimes I read it says kingdom of heaven, and other times it says kingdom of God. Anyone ever notice that when you're reading the Bible? Sometimes kingdom of heaven, sometimes kingdom of God. Here's a little, here's a little fun fact. The, the book of Matthew, which we're reading today, was written to the Jewish people, as Ryan talked about last week. It was written to the Jewish nation. Jewish people, they would not even, God to them was so holy and so set apart, should be the same for us, so holy and so set apart, they would not even mention his name. In fact, they wouldn't even spell his whole name, Yahweh. They would only use four letters to spell his name. But they would not even feel that they were, they were right enough, or they were so holy and they were so not holy, they couldn't even say his name. So in, in Matthew, you'll always see called the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are exactly the same thing, but it's uttered, it's, and, and anytime you read in the book of Matthew, if it's translated properly, should be the kingdom of heaven. Now, before we get into what that means, I want to hit that first word there, that word repent. I was fortunate to grow up in church. Church was the big rock in our family. Athletics mattered. You know, I, I played ball through college, so it was a big deal, and academics mattered. I, I was a teacher, but the big rock in our family was faith, and I'm so thankful for that. But I grew up thinking the word repent was this just bad word. Like repent meant here I go again. I've sinned this week. I've sinned this day. I got to go to the altar. I got to pray again and repent again and repent again and repent again. And repent to me just seemed like it was a negative word. But do you know the word actually means a change of heart or a change of mind? It's one of the best things. It means actually to turn, to turn away from where you're going. So if you're walking this way, to literally turn a 180, go this way, and not look back. That's what repent means. See, we've messed this up in our culture. We think it just means I'm sorry. We think, well, it means I got caught. We think, well, it's a flub. It's, it's a mess up. It's, no. Like, this is a big deal. In fact, it's a little grotesque, but it says in the Bible that if we repent and we actually turn back to the way we were living before, the metaphor it used was a, and I told you this is gross, but a dog returning to its own vomit. I've warned you. And we've all seen that before, haven't we? <laughs> and it doesn't make me hungry for lunch, right? Repent is a big deal. And, Jesus, and John the Baptist is saying, and his mission in life was to come before Jesus and say, guess what? There's a new, new sheriff in town and, and, and there's going to be a repentance thing. And he's going to ask you to turn away from the life you're living. He's going to ask you to think differently. He's asking your heart to be turned differently and not to go back the way it was, both personally and then how you impact and look at others and make a difference in this world. And then he said that, that your kingdom of heaven is near, or kingdom of God is near. Now, that would have really messed with them. Now, here's part of the reason it would have, really would have messed with them. Just before then, we had a four, they had a 400-year period in their history where God was silent. Did you know that? For 400 years, it's called the intertestamental period or between what, what we have termed as the Old Testament or where Malachi was written until the New Testament. Ironically, Matthew wasn't the first book written, but I'll save that for another day. But there's 400 years where they're not hearing God's voice. Can you imagine? And they're not seeing any God activity, if you will, necessarily happen in this world. Yet this guy shows up, this John the Baptist guy shows up and he says, guess what? There's going to be this new thing that happens called repentance. There's going to be this thing that happens in the kingdom of heaven. Now, what's the kingdom of heaven? Again, I grew up thinking heaven is there and in the future, and I'm in the earth now, and 
I'm just going to live here now. The world is just going to get worse and worse, and then eventually I'll get to heaven, and everything will be made right. You know, that's not really actually how it works. Heaven is supposed to be unleashed here on this earth now. Now, how do I know that? This isn't Mark saying this. Actually, one day they asked Jesus, how do we pray? And Jesus said, our Father who isn't, who isn't, our Father who is in heaven, holy or hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Heaven is supposed to be unleashed on earth. What's heaven look like? A lot of times we look at and we, just, we say, well, heaven's, heaven's mansions and heaven's uh, gold roads and crystal seas. And I'm like, well, whatever. No, that's not, that's not the point. Heaven is, there's healing. There's wholeness. There's no brokenness. There's no more death. There's no more loss. There's no more suffering. And this is mind-altering. Like, I can say the words and it'll seem mind-altering. That's why I'm prefacing. This is mind-altering, church, that God says, I want to unleash heaven here, now. Like, we're supposed to be seeing people healed. We're supposed to be seeing people set free. We're supposed to be seeing people restored. We're supposed to be seeing people forgiven. We're supposed to be seeing all that stuff now. And John the Baptist was the messenger. In fact, he was the final prophet. Do you know that? In the Old Testament, we talk about these prophets. There is, sometimes we call them the major and the minor. You ever hear that? Major and minor prophets. We're like, well, apparently some are more important than others. Here's a little tidbit. They're only called major and minor based on how long the book was that they're in. <laughs> so like the minor prophet of Micah versus the major prophet Isaiah. One was not more important than the other. Just one was a lot shorter. And one, like Isaiah, was a lot of stuff he wrote down. John the Baptist was the final prophet before the final, final prophet which is Jesus himself. And he was declaring this message, this, and prophets always said things that weren't popular and still hasn't changed to this day. Repent, repent, turn away. One idiot, because this guy, Jesus is coming and he's gonna unleash his kingdom and it's gonna really mess with your heads. It's not gonna be a kingdom of power. It's not going to be a kingdom of privilege. It's not going to be a kingdom of military might. It's not going to be a kingdom that you think it's going to be. It's going to be a kingdom where the least is the greatest. It's going to be a kingdom where those who serve are exalted. It's going to be a kingdom whose hero walks up a hill called Calvary and dies a death that he didn't deserve, but you and I did. But out of love, he served as an atoning sacrifice for you and for me so that his kingdom could be unleashed on this earth. John the Baptist had zeal. What are you zealous about? What are you passionate about? What is it that gets you flying up a bed, out of bed in the morning? I don't care if you're in this room right now and you're eight years old or if you're 98 years old. As long as you and I are here, God is not done with us and he has something he wants to do in and through us. Now, on Tuesdays at the Valley at, at, at um, 12 o'clock, from 12 to 1, we have this meeting. It's a voluntary meeting. I, I don't make it mandatory. It's for all our pastors, any, any different ones at our different locations. It's called Teaching Team. We meet here at the Piqua location because it's central. And, and anyone that, that is, does any teaching here at the Valley is welcome. Not mandatory. We usually average anywhere from 6 or 7 to sometimes 11 or 12 people. 
I don't know if they all know it's not mandatory, but that's all right. <laughs> and, and what we do is whoever's preaching at the different locations that, that week will start sharing about the text that they're using, which we're all using the same text, but then we, we kind of dive deep. And then we start asking questions, and then we start wrestling with things. And we have, we have different people in that group. We have some who think more scholarly. We have some who think more creatively. We have some who are very pragmatic. We have some who think very through the cultural lens. And we just have a blast. At least I have a blast. I don't know if they have a blast. They keep coming. We just, and so we dive in. And so this past week, I, came, I opened it up, and I started reading from Numbers chapter 25. And I started reading the first three or four sentences, and someone pipes up, and they're like, that's not the passage we're in this week. And I said, ah, pipe down, let's keep going, you know, like, calm down, relax. It may have been our Sydney campus pastor, who's also my mother-in-law, so I could do that. Okay. <laughs> Just saying, could have been. And then I keep reading it, and, and, and I'm not going to, and, and then someone else speaks up, who may or may not be my wife, and says, um, you're not reading that in church this Sunday, are you? <laughs> She's like, you know there's an elementary program there. There's going to be kids. I'm not, and I said, I'm not reading it, but why, here's, here's why. Number one, you can go read it for yourself. I don't care if you read it right now. Numbers chapter 25. Numbers, it's towards the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, it, chapter 25. You start reading it, and you'll see why I'm not sharing it out loud, because I do see kids in here. It involves a spear and pe two people meeting the spear and not going on. But the reason I picked it was because after this incredibly odd series of events, God says about this guy, Phineas, he is zealous after me. It's the first time in the Bible where the word zeal or zealous shows up. And then we see it later mentioned about this guy by the name of Elijah. And Elijah, one day, the prophets of Baal, or God calls this challenge between Elijah and God and the prophets of Baal, and, they're, and there's this massive battle and God wins. And, and then it said that Elijah is zealous. See, here's what you have to understand about the Jewish culture. John the Baptist was Jewish. And in a Jewish home, they would read the scriptures. They called it the Law and the Prophets because they didn't have a New Testament yet. But they would read it, and they would read it, and they would talk about it. In fact, they would write it on little parchments and put it in little boxes around their arms and on their foreheads. It talks about that in Deuteronomy. And, and it was a big deal. In fact, when I was writing this up, just as kind of a background on the word zeal, I was like, you know, this wouldn't be a bad thing for our families to do, <laughs> to read the Bible together and to process it if you have children or grandchildren at home. And in fact, I don't, uh, if you're not aware of this, it's not too late to join in. At all our locations in the month of December, we're reading the book of Luke. We looked and said, you know, there's 24 days in December before Christmas. Stroke of genius sarcasm, okay? 24 days in December, every year, fascinating enough, before Christmas, which falls on the 25th, of course. And then we looked and said, the book of Luke has, guess how many chapters in it? 24. So each day this month, I'm challenging as many people as possible to be reading. Now, you might be like, I didn't know about that, Mark. Jump right in. I don't, I, I don't know my dates that well, but it's not the 24th yet. I know that because I don't have that sermon done yet, so <laughs> that's coming quick. But I would encourage you, either catch up or just jump right in, because I have a firm belief, when we start reading the Bible, it's going to change us. 
Why? Because God said it would. It said it's his, it's God breathed, it's his words. And we start letting it soak in, we start letting it get in here, and we let, start letting it go from here down into here, and it starts to change us from the inside out. I'm a, I, don't, I just don't know if we need to listen to more podcasts and watch more videos and read more blogs. I think we just got to start reading God's word. In fact, here's another stroke of genius we had. Uh, in, in January, it's coming up after this month, there's how many days in January? 31. And we found this book of the Bible called Proverbs, and guess how many chapters it has? 31. So guess what we're reading in January? Psalms. No, okay, Proverbs, okay? <laughs> Start letting it ooze into it. That's what would have happened. And every so often, there'd be someone like John the Baptist. Every so often, there'd be someone like the church planter Paul who would be hearing this day after day and his mom and his dad and family sharing scripture. And then they would be celebrating these different festivals. We call them like Hanukkah and Pentecost and Festival of the Tabernacles and Festival of the Tent. They would be celebrating. They would remember and they would celebrate all that God had done for them and for their ancestors and who he was. And they'd be reading about it and it would soak into their head and it would go into their hearts. And every so often, there'd be someone who's like, it would just grab their hearts. And the passion, the zeal would exude out of them. And they would discover their purpose. Isn't this fun? They would discover their purpose. They would discover the meaning God has. And they would look and they would say, I'm here for something bigger than myself. And it would be game changed. There was nothing special about John the Baptist. (laughs) He didn't dress great. (laughs) He had a very minimal diet. He was probably uneducated. And yet here he is paving the way for Jesus himself. Now, what was the result? Here's what I want to ask myself. What was the result of John's zeal? What, was there any benefit from his misfittedness that played into our world? Well, let's read for ourselves. It says this later on. It says this in verse 5. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea And all over the Jordan Valley, and the whole region of the Jordan, they went out to him, and they confessed their sins, and he did what? He baptized them in the Jordan River. The result of one man's zeal was that hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of people crossed the line of faith, and their lives were changed forever. Notice how it says people from Jerusalem, which would have been a decent population center. But that's not all. From Judea, a whole province. And then the, all the Jordan Valley, so multiple provinces. You're talking literally hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of people. They went and heard John. The guy was passionate. The guy got fired up. And they heard about who Jesus was. And they heard that they didn't have to stay stuck where they are, that they could be changed. And they didn't have to live in the guilt. And they didn't have to live in the shame. And they didn't have to live in being lost. They could be healed and they could be set free. And their lives were changed forever. Two weeks ago, I got a text message from a staff member and it just said, we have a problem. And I replied back, you have the wrong number. Sorry. No, I, I said, well, what's the problem? And uh, they're like, well, you know, we haven't started to promote Christmas Eve, really. Uh, there's two billboards that we haven't even put up yet. 
We haven't even done invite cards yet, and the 3 o'clock service is at 95% capacity, and the 515 service is at 55% capacity. I said, okay, that's a decent problem. Um, so I said, then of course they were asking, like, you know, you got to make a decision here. Are we going to try to add a third service or not? I said, well, let me think about it for a few moments or whatever and prayed. And, and all of a sudden, God reminded me. I, I shared it here, and I've been sharing it at other locations as I'm preaching there. I've been telling you, and I know others of you have joined in with me in, in agreement with this prayer, that we have a 1,000 people join us that night who don't know Jesus. If, I, if you didn't hear me say that at the time I preached here before, that's what I've been praying. That's what, one of the things God showed me during our month of prayer and fasting in November. Start praying that 1,000 people would come to know Jesus or would be there who didn't know Jesus, and hopefully all of them do. And I got thinking about that, and I was like, you know what? I, I, I said, you know, I wonder. I wonder just maybe God's decided to answer that prayer. <laughs> you ever think about that? Like, we pray some big prayers, and we're like, oh, God, man, that's too big. And then God, and that's what hit my mind. I was like, you know what? I think actually God might, <laughs> this might be an easy decision. I think God's answering this prayer. This doesn't really make human sense. And so, of course, we went to Arbogast, and they said, yeah, we can, we'll, we'll, we'll add another one. Which, by the way, I got a text just a couple days ago that um, the 3 o'clock sold out. There's 96% full at the 515. So if, you haven't, if you're wanting to go to 515, you can stop listening to me and go get your tickets online. Uh, and I think they said we were at 60% or something already for the, um, for the 1 o'clock. Now, here's why I share that. That's the stuff, church, that starts happening when people become zealous for the Lord. I'm applauding you. You started taking it really serious that, you know what, I know Jesus and I have relatives who don't, I have friends who don't, and if they don't know Jesus, not only are they separated from him eternally, they're never going to get to experience his kingdom life here on earth. And it started bothering you, and I'm talking to some of you, it really started bothering you. And God started firing up, firing you up, that passion, that zeal, that, that, that becoming zealous. And you said, you know what? I can do this. I can make that invite. Maybe they'll say no, but I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give it a shot. Maybe they won't, they'll think I'm a, a little bit weird. Maybe, you know, hey, just tell you're not wearing, you know, camel skin and leather belts and eating locusts. You're not that weird, okay? Right? That's me. I eat that kind of stuff. Um, and you're like, maybe I'll lose a friend. No, and you just said, you know what? I'm going to do it. And across our locations, they said, you know what, we're going to do it. That's what happens when people start getting zeal for the Lord. You start stepping out of the comfort zone and you get in the courageous zone. You start looking at the things in this world that are broken. You stop looking down the row. You stop looking at your spouse. You stop looking at someone else in some other part of the world. You say, maybe, just maybe, I'm supposed to do something about this. What are you passionate about? What area of your life needs more zeal? Maybe you've lost that. Maybe today is a chance to regain it. God's saying, you know what? The mess of your life, I want to use for the message. I want to redeem. God's always in the, I shared this at, at Troy, no, last week. Uh, God, no, a couple weeks ago, actually. Uh, God's always in the recycling business. Nothing is used, God does not look at our life at garbage or things. He's always looking to recycle. He's always looking to redeem. He's always looking to restore. And then he's looking for us to use it to make an impact in the lives of other people. John the Baptist had a rough life. 
John the Baptist didn't have everything figured out because he's human. I, I don't know him, I don't, but I guarantee because he was human, he had brokenness. He had sinfulness. Paul, the apostle Paul, right? I mean, literally was there taking care of the coats for those who were stoning to death Stephen. God took that zeal, misdirected zeal, and he started using it for kingdom purposes. Who's one person? Sometimes our minds think, well, I got to start this new ministry. I got to start this brand new. I got to do this. I got to do something massive. No, 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 no. Sometimes yes. But maybe it's one person. That zeal, that passion that, that God wants to, I was talking to someone earlier today and they said, I think God has one person he wants me to start sharing my story with. And he was nervous about that. I said, do it. That's the zeal of the Lord. That's, that's being courageous. That's being bold and trusting that God will do what only he can do. Let's look at what continues here. It says this in verse 8. Actually, no, let's go to verse 11, sorry. I'm going to come to 8 later. It says, I baptize, this is John speaking, I baptize with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. What John's saying here is, guys, it's been 400 years since you've heard from God. Things are going to change, and it's coming soon. And there's someone coming after me, and of course it was Jesus. Now, a servant would hold someone's sandals. In fact, holding someone's sandals in the first century was almost beneath what a servant would do for someone. Why? Because they were gross. They were on someone's feet. I just feet are gross, period, but that's a, that's a personal thing, okay? But for the first century, they were gross, they were dirty, they didn't wash every day, they walk in the dust. By the way, they didn't have cars, they had animals, and animals just did their business in the road, and people would walk on it, and they're standing. And John's saying, the humility of John saying, I am not even important enough to hold his sandals. But there's this guy coming. Actually, he's already here, but his ministry's going to start. And he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. God's power and his presence are going to show up in ways you've never experienced before. And then almost every time in the Bible where you see the word fire, it's always dealing with purification. That he's going to come and he's going to set the things wrong in this world right. He's going to start internally with people. And then he's going to use people to then fulfill the mission to purify this world. John knew what he was zealous about. John knew what his mission was and what his purpose was, and he chose to lean into it head first and go after it. What about you? It'd be so easy, it is so easy to show up here Sunday morning, serve, which is great, give, which is great, be involved, which is great, hear something that maybe you learn a few new things, and then we just go out. We just go out and we start doing life and we continue with life and then Monday comes and Tuesday comes. That's always my biggest fear with preaching. That it's just going to be transfer of information and it's not going to move to transformation. So I want to ask you a question as we wrap up today. What, what are you passionate about? He's not done with you. You might be retired. He's not done with you. You might be thriving in your career. He's not done with you. You might be stuck in your career. He's not done with you. You might be unemployed. He's not done with you. You might be a teenager. He's not done with you. You might be a young adult. He's not done with you. He's got something he wants to do. And it's going to revolve around people. 
an impact in their life. John chapter 1 says this. It says, John's, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light. This is so cool. To tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness. He was simply a witness. What's a witness do? They see something and they what? They tell someone about it to the light. A few months ago, I shared a, a story, and it seemed to really resonate with a lot of you, and the, and the punchline to the story was that God wants to punch holes in darkness. Some of you remember that? There's a lot of darkness in this world, isn't there? I mean, I, I don't have, we don't have cable. I watch a couple, I watch sports. That's it. I don't really do the news thing, because anytime it comes up on my feed, it just seems kind of like, ugh, yeah, right? And I know a lot of people, especially those who, who are followers of Jesus, I, I hear them say a lot, the world's, world's just getting worse, and it's just getting worse, and it's falling apart. And I'm not a good one for you to say that to, because I'm like, I don't think it has to. In fact, number one, I don't totally agree with that, because there was a time in Genesis where God looks out the whole earth, and he saw one family, one family who was following after him, and everyone else was, quote-unquote, doing evil in the sight of the Lord. So I don't know if we're actually worse than that. But I'm like, when I look at what John the Baptist said about Jesus, that he wants to unleash heaven onto earth, and, I, and here's how cool God is. I'm re reading one of your Bible, and I'm an overachiever, so I was actually wrapping it up today on the way in. It was so cool. In Revelation 21, it talks about, this is perfect timing, because I was looking at my notes earlier today, and I'm like, oh, this is so great, that there's going to be a new heaven. Actually, God's going to do, do away with the current heaven. He's going to do, with the current, do away with the current earth. He's going to make a new heaven. He's going to make a new earth. He's going to combine them, and Jesus is going to be Lord of all of it for all of eternity. And I, and I don't know if you believe that. I believe that, that someday there will be a judgment. I believe that someday there's going to be a new heaven, and there's going to be a new earth. Now, here's my point. If I believe that's going to happen, we, we use big fancy terms like ecotology or, or end times, but if you believe in the end times, I believe that the church is supposed to take us from where we are and people, the church is not a building or anything, it's the people who say they profess Jesus as our Lord and Savior and get us closer and closer and closer to the new heaven and new earth. If we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, we're not supposed to be getting farther away, we're supposed to be taking God's dream and realizing it more and more and more, but we gotta become passionate. We have to become zealous. And I'm not talking about going to a ball game and holding up a sign that says, repent or you're going to hell. In fact, I'll give you $100 not to do that. That's misguided zeal. There was a guy who, by the name of Paul who had misguided zeal. I'm talking about when you see something broken or you have, know someone in your life who doesn't know Jesus, you do something about it. You take the next best step. That's all you have to do. We convolute this. We overcomplicate it. Just take the next best step. You profess to know Jesus. You have someone in your life who doesn't. Make an invitation to Christmas Eve. You have some area of your life that you are just passionate about. There's something in this world that just is broken and it's your heart's desire. Then take a step towards fixing it. In fact, one of the things I've, I'm asking people to do is if, if you want to talk about your passion, if you want to talk about maybe processing what that next step is and trying to figure it out, mark on the back of that connection card Ryan talked about. If you're with us online, they have a digital card. Just put passion or talk to a pastor on the back. 
I will always find time to talk to people or the staff will find time to talk to people to process their passions, to process what you're supposed to do. Take the card, drop it in one of our giving boxes, shoot me an email. I, make, I don't know if I can meet with everyone, but the staff could. We will make time. I met with a couple of people a couple of weeks ago who are passionate about grief share. And we're going to be starting a group here to reach people who don't know Jesus and people who do know Jesus, but people who don't know Jesus through grief share. Someone else has talked to me, they're passionate, they're a nurse, and they want to reach other nurses who don't know Jesus. We're going to start a group for that. Uh, there's a guy at our Troy location who he, he always, about a couple times a year, he'll message me and he's like, if there would have been a, a vote, you know, in high school yearbook, most likely to succeed, most likely to whatever, he's like, if there would have been a vote of most likely never to go in a church, he goes, I would have won. <laughs> most likely never to profess Jesus or believe in God, I would have won. And now he messaged me. He's like, I don't know what God's doing, but he's serving. He's one of the guys serving in, in the prison ministry that the Troy location has going. There's a guy getting released this week. He messaged me and said, hey, this guy's getting released. We've really connected. He's going to be homeless. Some ideas I had, and I connected with some different agencies. I said, here's the other cool thing. Someone actually messaged me last week and said, hey, can we get, the, I just got to talk about something. I said, sure. They come in with the box full of Ziploc bags full of hygiene items and care items and all that for men and women who are, what, what do you think they are? Homeless. So today at our Troy location, some of the, the, one of the staff persons giving him a box or, a, or at least a number of Ziploc bags to help this gentleman who's coming out of um, prison this week start getting some things in motion so he doesn't repeat the cycle he's in. It's one person after one person, after one, you've probably heard this story before of the starfish, all these starfish get washed into the ocean, and uh, this guy's picking up starfish, and he's throwing them back in the ocean, he's throwing them back, and there's thousands of them, and someone says, man, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, you're not making a difference. There's so many of them, you're not going to reach every single one of them. He picks up a starfish, he throws it in the ocean, and he says, made a difference for that one. Made a difference for that one. People with zeal, people with zeal will change this world one person at a time. Would you pray with me? Maybe you're here today and you've, um, you're not sure about the zeal part, but that repent thing really got, started messing with you. And you've realized that you know about God, you know about Jesus, but you really don't, you've never known him. In fact, you've realized that you thought you've made yourself right with God, but you're not going any differently than you were before. Your life hasn't changed. There's values that you might hold that might align with Scripture, but there's, there's not a life transformation. I, I would encourage you, if you're here today and you're, something's brewing within you, maybe your heart's beating faster, maybe your palms are sweaty, maybe it's time today to truly repent. The Bible tells us in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us. He will wash us free of all the unrighteousness. Maybe that's you today. You need to make a decision today. Quit sitting on the fence. Make a decision to give your life to Jesus. Others of us today, we're, maybe we've just gotten stuck with ho-hum of life. Maybe we're feeling we can't be of use to God because our past is, is messy or whatever. 
In fact, while we're sitting there, I would just encourage you, maybe open up your palms. It's, it's a pretty non-demonstrative thing. No one's going to see it. Just open up your palms. And, and an act of saying, you know, God, I, I'm open to whatever you would have me do. God, re-instill within me zeal. Light a fire within me, God, to make a difference in this world. God, God show me the next best step to take to unleash this passion, to unleash this fire in the life of someone else. God, I pray right now that we would just be open, that we would not settle for comfort, that we would not settle for just going through the motions. But right now, you would stoke in the hearts of people a zeal for the Lord. A desire to not just do this Christian thing, but to, to, to be in the game, to pursue you and to make a difference. Come Holy Spirit, come fill us with what we need. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? And if you, again, want to meet, connect, put passion, put meat on the back of that connection card, drop it in a giving box. I want to leave you with this blessing from Numbers chapter 6. Not Numbers 25, Numbers 6. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you. And may he give you peace. I pray that you would not only receive that peace, but that you would be a vessel releasing that peace. You are sent. Go make a difference. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app today to stay connected with all things The Valley. And if today's message impacted you or changed your life, share it with a friend. Because changed lives change lives.